1: see the grace of God works its way all the way through to the New Testament. And it is a constant theme that culminates with the person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It was by God's grace, through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we were saved. It was God's grace that has set us free from the power of and dominion of sin. And has given us a new life. And has given us a new heart. A desire to live godly. To live holy. To live righteously.
0: One of the biggest themes throughout the story of the Bible is the idea of God's grace. We see it both in the Old and New Testament, but it's made clear in the person of Jesus. It's by grace that we are saved by what Jesus did on the cross. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be sharing about the operational grace that we can walk in as Christians. There is the grace that saves us, and then a grace for what we face daily. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Titus chapter 2, as he begins his message, trained by saving grace.
1: Titus chapter 2,
0: verse,
1: we're going to read from verses 11 through 15. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to meet us here, when we, wherever we are. We call upon your name, and Lord, you meet us. And Lord, now we ask that you continue to be with us as we partake of the bread that never perishes, your word. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit, who has inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter to Titus and to the churches out in the island of Crete, also inspired it so that we today can learn from it and follow it, be obedient to your word. So the same Holy Spirit who inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter, we ask that would will be our teacher this morning. May we separate ourselves. May the teacher separate himself. May the students separate themselves. And hear from the Holy Spirit. So we ask that you would open up our ears that we may hear, our eyes that we may see. A minds to understand your word and a heart ready to receive it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Titus chapter two, we're going to read from verses eleven to the end of the chapter, verse fifteen. The Apostle Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good work. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you." In our last study, we looked at verses 1 through 10, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, and um, we saw that Paul gave us the qualifications of a sound church. Prior to that, we looked at chapter 1, verses 5 through 16, where Paul gave us 18 requirements for the pastor of the church. 18 requirements for the pastor of the church. And in our last study in verses 1 through 10, in chapter 2, Paul gave us the requirements for sound doctrine for the people and the church. So there's instruction for pastors and instructions for you and I. Uh, remember, this, the theme of this book is sound doctrine, sound living. Sound doctrine, sound living. There was problems in the churches in Crete. There was no leadership. There, and plus, to, to make matters worse, there were false teachers. And Paul wrote a letter to his one of his son in the faith, young pastor Titus, and to appoint leaders and to bring things in order there in the island of Crete. And since... Uh, We looked at, in our last study, the qualities of a sound church. Um, We saw that there are various people groups within the church. And Paul addressed his letter and instructions for those people. In the church, there were older men. Older men to be spiritual examples. Be spiritual examples to the younger men. Be sober, be reverent, be temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. To the older women, none here today. Likewise reverent and not slanderers to teach the younger women and the younger women say amen. Okay, good. This is for you. (laughs) The next part is for you. He says, love your husbands and children. Likewise be pure to work in the house, to be good, to be submissive to their husbands and the younger men. Likewise, be so reminded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility. Then he ended with bond servants or slaves. Today we call them employees. So every single one of us who are employees, this last two verses, verses 9 and 10, is for you. You are to obey your boss, your manager, supervisor. That is a Christian thing to do. And we're to do our best to, to do our best to please the supervisor, not as they say, polishing the apple, whatever it is, not trying to score points with your boss, but you're trying to score points with the Lord. And it's to set an example in how you're to live. So we are to not to talk back, not to steal. And so these are the things that are in the scripture. Now that brings us to chapter two, verses eleven through fifteen. After he's given us the requirements, the pastor requirements for a pastor and the requirements for the people in the church, he tells us what we should do. Now he's going to tell us how to do it. How to do it. We have been given sound doctrine in the word of God to live godly lives soberly and to live righteously. And this pastor is going to teach us how to do just that. And to sum it all up in just one word, the word is grace. Grace is the word. The grace that saved us is the grace that's going to train us. Grace did not end it at the cross when you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, a person, and Savior. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. It doesn't stop at the cross, but it continues. That grace continues on with us as we walk with the Lord, and it trains us how to deny ungodly things, how to pursue godly things. And so that's exactly what Paul is going to share in this passage. Now, the word grace is mentioned 156 times in the New Testament, and it's the word charis. Charis, it means unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. In Paul's day, he would say grace and then peace. You never find peace before grace. It's a theological greeting. and has some theological teachings behind it, and the apostle Paul came up with that, greeting. Grace, meaning they would greet each other, the the Gentiles or the Greeks, they would say, grace to you. Meaning, may you have a day better than you deserve. And peace is the Hebrew greeting. Shalom. So he combined these, the Greek greeting and the Hebrew greeting together. And you never will find peace before grace is because you can never have peace unless you have the grace of God. And so this is exactly what Paul's going to share here. The, God's grace is saying throughout the scriptures, from the beginning back in Genesis, when God said, let there be light. We were in his thoughts. We were in his mind. And so the grace of God, he created us out of his glorious image and prepared a place for us. And we see the grace of God works his way all the way through to the New Testament. And it's, it's a constant theme that culminates with the person, Jesus Christ jesus christ it was by god's grace through his son jesus christ that we were saved it was god's grace that has set us free from the power of and dominion of sin and has given us a new life and has given us a new heart a desire to live godly to live holy to live righteously that should be the desire in our hearts and if it's not as strong as it ought to be and only you and the lord would know that we pray that the, whole, the grace of God would do just that, will train you how to live godly, holy, and righteous. Well, we read the text. Let us now study the text verse by verse. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. When did the grace of God appear to all men? At the appearing, at Jesus' first appearing. When Jesus left the throne in glory, to be born in the manger, then to go unto the cross to die for our sins. That was his first appearing. And that's when grace came. Because before Christ came, there was the law. But now that Christ came, there is grace. John writes in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17, he writes this, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Again, it's a constant thing and it culminates and it points to and speaks of Jesus Christ. Here, God did not send a a scroll of theology down to explain grace to us. What he did was he did something far better than we could ever imagine. He sent his son Jesus to show grace. And we see that when he left his throne in glory to go on the cross for us. And so, if the grace of God brings salvation, and I like to see this passage here, if the grace of God appeared to all men, according to Titus chapter 2, verse 11, salvation is available to all men. To all men. Salvation is not only for selected few or the chosen. Salvation is for all men. That's what it tells me here. Now, I don't have time to veer off and get into the hyper-Calvinistic view of predestination. But all I know is that this passage, among many other passages, we have the verse that says, the just shall live by faith, mentioned three times in the Bible. But it tells me here in Titus that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Second Peter chapter three verse nine says the Lord is not slacking concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Does that mean that all men will be saved? No. But what it does mean is the salvation is available to anyone, whomsoever. For God so loved the world that whosoever that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then say, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that only to select a few. Why would God appear if He's only for a select a few? Salvation is for all, for all people. We understand the sovereignty of God. God knows the end from the beginning." But that does not negate the free will of man. What if God has chosen one and they decide to say, wait a minute, I don't want to follow the Lord. I'm sorry, you're chosen. I don't think that's the way that works. (laughs) You know, it's like two sides of the coin. You know, it's some things that just don't know how, but it works. The sovereignty of God and the election of man has worked in harmony since the beginning. Now, the next thing we want to look at is the grace of God. This is what it does. It teaches us. It teaches us. Let's read verse 11 in through verse 12. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So grace teaches us, again, the same grace that saved us also will train us. I would recommend you read the story. John Newton, you got to read his life. He was a young boy, born and raised in London, and was raised up in the way of the Lord. His mother trained him in re- reading the Bible. When he was a teenager, he left his home and became wanted to work on the, sh- in the ship like his father. His father was away most of the time he was out at sea. He became, he was part of the Royal Navy. He was so bad there. He would curse a storm. He was a drunkard. He fell overboard. They tried to save him. They took a harpoon to try to save his life and he still has a mark. Saved his life. Then later on he left that ship to, to work at another ship and then to make a long story short, he became a captain. The ship lost its direction and the only way they could find direction they had to tie him tie him to the front of the boat. And they made it there. It was then that he realized God's grace. And he wrote and that, that verse that says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace teaches us how awesome God's grace is. Sometimes brings well mostly I don't know, for me, it brings conviction. It's something all Christians should pray. Holy Spirit, bring conviction, not condemnation. That's what the enemy loves to do. The Bible says, now there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we need the Holy Spirit to bring conviction into our heart. When we were saved by grace, there was a change that took place. When we accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit entered in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that shapes us and molds us to be more and more like Christ. We understand the, the, the ultimate plan of God when he created man out of his image is for us to be out of his image and to be, a, to be like God in every way. Not to be God's, but to be like God. It started from the garden. He sent his son for us to be like him. And we ought to live that way because we've been saved by grace. In other words, if you're saved, there must be evidence that you were saved by the grace of God. The grace of God teaches us how to live godly lives. Godly living involves, we're going to see here, negative things that we must deny. Paul's going to tell us we must deny these negative things and we must pursue these other virtues. We find that in verse 12. Let's look at verse 12 again. He said, teaching us, that's the grace of God, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. These are the negative things we're to deny. We're to turn away from godless living and sinful pleasures. Now, ungodliness means to live as if there's no God. How can one who surrendered their lives to Christ, saved by the grace of God, live in a way as if there's no God? It must be evident in our life and how we walk. They should see in you the result of saving grace. What does saving grace looks like? Well, look at, look at Austin. Look at Jerry. That's what saving grace looks like. We live in a world filled with people who do not have God. I believe there are more atheists today than there were years ago. Not because of the time. But I remember I was reading a book and it opened up by writing about the passing of Billy Graham. He said, There would never be another Billy Graham because the generation that made him possible no longer exists. And that is the truth. You say God, they're going to say, Which God? And I always say, Don't say, Yeah, you can say God. If you say Jesus Christ, it changes the, uh, the conversation. It'll bring conviction. Or they will deny and reject Christ. If you say Jesus Christ, they know what God you're talking about. And so we ought to live. We we live in a world where many people do not believe in God. The world around us needs to see the evidence of God. How do they see the evidence of God? By looking at how you live your life to show that you've been saved by grace. You've been saved by grace. Let your life be the evidence of what God's amazing grace can do. The second thing is teaching us, grace is training us, we're to deny worldly loss. Worldly loss. And it's not only sexual immorality, it's not only sexual sin, but it's a, it could be a lust for wealth, a lust for power, a lust for pleasure, fame. Worldly lust. We're to deny these things. You see, you and I have received the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. We are born again and we turn away from these things. We shouldn't be drawn to these things. We should turn away from these things. Looking at this negative part in the life of a Christian, things we're to deny. Paul is telling us to deny it because Christians still struggle with this. We're not perfect. Only Jesus is. I know many of us we examine ourselves right now you think oh is he talking to me all of us we're all in this together you have some Christian who say well I, I know that I do these things and you know I know that I have ungodly uh, have ungodly characters and, and, and I struggle with worldly lust." but God knows my heart God knows my heart Can I tell you something? I know your heart. Yeah, Pastor Eddie knows your heart. You know why? Because your heart is just like mine. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, I know your heart. You know my heart. We all know each other's hearts. Are we agreeing with that? According to scripture, it's all wicked. I may not know your intentions. Only God knows that. I don't know your intentions. We don't know each other's intentions, but we do know the heart. Every heart is deceitful above all things; it is desperately wicked. And hey, the next thing they'll part say, "Okay, God knows now. Okay, I, you got me there." But you know, when I sin, you know, I'm on the grace. I'm on the grace. I'm covered with grace—the grace of God. The grace of God is not for the believer in Jesus Christ to use it as a license to sin. Now, let me tell you something that Paul even addressed this thinking, the Apostle Paul. Why? Because this thinking started all the way back in the garden. There's nothing new. You see, the heart of man has been corrupt since the garden. It's still corrupt. Two things that are always guaranteed, regardless of the century, regardless of how ancient or how future it might be, as long as God should tarry. One thing that remains the same Since the beginning of time is the heart of man is corrupt and the word of God is true. In order to change the heart, we need repentance. We need to be right with God and learn from the word of God and how to live right, to honor him, to glorify him. And Paul understood this thing because people are thinking like that today. Thinking I can live there any way I want to. Oh, grace, God understands. Yeah, I'm being renewed day by day. What kind of relationship is that? This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. You can't take advantage of grace. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We died to sin. We repented. We became born again. We died to sin. Romans chapter six, verses fourteen and fifteen says, "For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not." Paul, listen. We weren't. We're not. There were people. Ancient times were thinking about this. They didn't have you know, cable with 200 channels and the cell phone to keep them... No, they thought they, they would... The men would gather in the courtyard and talk about doctrine, theology, or politics, philosophy. That was entertainment back then.
0: We're so glad you decided to join us here today on Running the Race. Pastor Eddie is making his way through the book of Titus in this series. In Titus chapter 3, Paul holds up a mirror to show us who we were and are in reality. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't it extraordinary all that God has done to turn your life around? Running the Race is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel of Milford. And here's Jessica with an invitation just for you.
1: We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you
0: can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Thanks, Jessica. Head over right now and start exploring all the resources available to you. And we'll see you here next time for more on Running the Race.